Hello and welcome to episode 2 of this new series on the World Football Index where we look at some of the most important, influential and interesting stories in world football. In this second episode we are going to be discussing one of the most controversial incidents in football history. It occurred during a World Cup qualifying match between Brazil and Chile in the famous Grand Old Maracanã Stadium in Rio de Janeiro in 1989 and it initially looked to have cost Brazil their place in the 1990 World Cup. Eventually, it would prove to be one of the most infamous acts of cheating ever seen in sport, and one Chile were not going to get away with lightly. Joining me to discuss this, I'm delighted to say, is Tim Vickery, a familiar voice on South American football to most of our listeners, and I'm sure you would have heard him on our first episode discussing Colombia in 1994. Welcome back, Tim. How are you doing? Lovely to be here, and, and what a story we've got to tell with, with this one. What a story this is. Indeed. Um, and I'm also here with a fresher voice for, for most of our listeners, and, that, and that's uh, Daniel Campos, a good friend of mine here in Santiago, an Australian Chilean, with a head full of Chilean football history, especially as this incident we're talking about today is one of the first he remembers being talked about in his family at the time it happened. Isn't that right, Daniel? That's correct. Thank you for having me, and um, pleasure. Let's start. I mean, where do we start? Can can I can I suggest that we start in '87? Yes, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, the, the Copa America came back in '87. It hadn't been played uh, in the format of a tournament since '67. There have been a, a couple of coppers, but they were all um, all over the continent. So this one uh, in in Argentina in '87 was the first true tournament copper for '87. Now, why had it taken so long? And the big reason is that South America was just beginning to come out of the age of the dictatorships. Uh, and during the age of the, the dictatorships, um, the, the countries were encouraged to see each other as, as enemies, uh, in, you know, to justify the military budget as much as anything else, um, rather than, than, than trade partners. Uh, and I, I think so much of the story that we're going to tell today has to do with the values of dictatorship. And the values, especially of Chile, the, the Chilean dictatorship, which was the most brutal in in South America. Now, one of the in in uh, one of the uh, the, the standout things um, in what I ludicrously call my career was being in Santiago. It's about uh, it's exactly six years ago, and having the chance to to speak to uh, the widow of Victor Jara. Victor Jara, of course, was the uh, the great man of the art, a, a theatre director who became better known as a singer songwriter and was a symbol of the. The, uh, the leftist uh, Allende government brutally assassinated in the Pinochet coup of uh, 11th of September 73. Now, his his widow, Joan, uh, is uh, English, uh, and uh, she's a, a star in her own right, a great woman in her own right in the arts, and she was a great dancer, uh, and then she became a dance teacher. Now, she has uh, had, still has daughters with Victor, and uh, after the coup, they, they, they fled the country for their own safety. But after a few years, they went back. You know, it was the daughter's home. Uh, and uh, one of the great things I had, the, the, just the chance to talk to, to her, and she telling, telling me about when she went back to Chile, teaching dance had become totally different because the mentality of the people was totally different. What those who'd grown up under the Pinochet regime had no conception of collective work and no conception of ethics. It was all about their own exam results, and that's the only thing that matters. And if they have to trip over someone else, they'll do that in order to, uh, to, to get a good result. So the individualistic lack of ethics 
of the uh, of the, the the Pinochet government reproduced throughout society. And I think that 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 supplies the backbone to the story that that, that we're going to tell. And eighty seven, I think, is interesting in this context because uh, eighty seven, Chile do exceptionally well. Um, it's it's a kind of stand-in coach. He's he's not really seen originally as a long-term solution, Orlando Aravena. Um, but uh, they're in, a, in the same group with with Brazil, and they just have one of those days. Uh, and they had some interesting strikers in, in in that time. And Brazil had a man sent off, and Chile end up winning four uh, nil. Mm-hmm. And this turn, this result turns Aravena from a young stand-in coach into the man in possession with a loud mouth. And he is going to shoot off at all times. And Chile gets to the final. And that's a huge thing because Chile, at this point, you've got to remember, they've never won anything. They're in the final of the Copa America against Uruguay. Now, uh, I'd never left England at that time, 87. I was 22. But we had a new channel, Channel 4, that showed an hour's highlights of the final. And I couldn't believe it. I'd always been under the impression that the problems on the field came when Europeans met South Americans because there were different codes of playing the game and 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 it was and these yeah. different interpretations that led to the problems. And then I saw this Uruguay Chile game and there were there were little bits of flair here and there but mainly it was a, it was a free for all of violence. Lots were sent off, everyone was losing their head. It was a disgraceful showpiece occasion. But what you were seeing there was the values of dictatorship societies. Um, all right, you, you might say that, that there's always been an extra emotional content for South American football. It's one of the things that makes it great. But one of the things that underpins this story, and you see it so more clearly with Chile than anywhere else, is this mixture of inflamed nationalism, uh, idiotic victimization, um, total lack of ethics, self-pity, uh, and uh, all of this cocktail together produces the events both in Santiago and in Rio, which have such nefarious consequences for the Chilean national team. Yeah, I, I actually watched that Chile-Uruguay final that you're talking about a couple of years ago um, when I was doing something on the Copa America, and I was actually surprised just how brutal that Chile side was in that game because I think we've all grown up um, with the stories of how sort of brutal Uruguayan football was um, around that around that era, but I don't think until I watched that game I really realised how bad Chile were at that same time. Yeah, and going off some of your other points, excellent points that you made, Tim, um, especially about the influence of the dictatorship on um, on the attitudes the Chilean players had on this game, I would say that. Those attitudes of individualism, you know, remain to this day. Especially, I would say, in in the male Chileans, I think there is more of a collective nature um, in the women's side of things in in all sectors of society. But and I think we've seen that as well in, in the last year during during these protests, where the women's part of the movement was a, was a lot more collective, I would say, than than the men's. Yeah, I, I think that they they were all excellent points and certainly all shape what went on um, in this in this dreaded incident in 1989. Any thoughts, Daniel, you want to add? First image of that final, it was at the River Plate Stadium, if I'm not wrong. I, all I can remember is the goal from Bingo Echea, fantastic player. Um, these days, coaches in Peru. I couldn't agree more. Um, it's the attitudes that are very uh, selfish and, and aggressive and individualistic. Yeah, no doubt. 87, definitely the backbone of, of, of what happens because it's, it's the time where Aravena uh, begins to, to manage in the national team. And, and also 87 was a significant year 
um, as, as Chile hosted the Under-20 World Cup as well. It's got a bit of backdrop because FIFA didn't view Chile as a good uh, place to, to hold a tournament because of the dictatorship. But again, FIFA also had experience of giving the hosts um, or giving the rights to host a FIFA tournament, even though there was a dictatorship you know, happening. Um, there were ways to manipulate and sort of hide the realities that were were occurring with the experience of the 78 World Cup in Argentina as well. So there, 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 were, there were different modus operandi, if you could say, um, and there were different people involved at the time for the for the under-20 World Cup here who obviously now in hindsight have revealed in tell-all books things that, that occurred um, for, for the... Um, organizing committee of that tournament uh, that would definitely not occur had it been hosted elsewhere. 87 was a team moment for, for, for the national team. And obviously, as well as Tim pointed out, it wasn't common to see um, for Chileans to see their national team reach a final of the Copa. It was also you know, a highlight. Well, it's been a fascinating game. It's been a real contest. It's tough and bruising. American Championship and win it overall for the ninth time. Extraordinary game. Four players set off. And today Chile couldn't live up to their growing reputation in this competition. Chile still waiting for their first title. Uh, and then obviously we move on. There's another copper in, in 89. Yeah, which Brazil win. Yeah, it's a different coach from 87. It's not Carlos Alberto Silva. It's uh, now uh, Lazzaroni, Sebastian Lazzaroni. So he's come in and he's won. Um, so Brazil are on a, are on a high. Um, they hadn't won the, cup, the Copa for, for 40 years. So that was, uh, that, was, that, was, that was a big result for them to, uh, to win that. It's when they get their, their confidence back and uh, that, the, the generation, um, the, 80, the great 82 generation, some of them stay on for 86, but they've now left the scene. So you, you've got a new generation coming through, which has affirmed themselves winning the, the Copa America on, on on home ground in '89. Chile didn't have a disastrous Copa, but uh, didn't manage to, to to get out out of the group. Uh, Aravena is still there, and I would imagine there's a lot of optimism in Chile, even though it's a difficult group. You know, there's only one place available. Um, I'd imagine there's a lot of optimism that Chile can uh, do to to Brazil, at least at home what they'd done in 87 in, uh, in, in the Copa in Argentina uh, and, uh, and and get that place in Italia 90. Yeah, indeed, Tim, Brazil in the 80s, they were, you know, they were a bit of an enigma at times. I think many would say, you know, flattering to deceive, really. And like you say, until 89, it, they hadn't won any silverware in that decade, you know, flat, flattering to deceive in the 82 and 86 World Cups. And I was just wondering, what do the Brazilian public make of the Brazil side of that time? And how would you see them compared to what we've already discussed was a fairly sort of durable, fairly talented, but sometimes violent Chile side of the time? Yeah, Lazzaroni, the, uh, the, the coach, um, had come in with his, with his back three, with his sweeper. Uh, half an eye on European football, also half an eye on what Argentina had done in, in 86 when uh, when they, they won, won the World Cup with, with a back three. So a, a back three gives full reign for your, your attacking fullbacks to become wingbacks and really bomb forward. Uh, and you had, a, you had an interesting generation of, uh, of, of strikers uh, uh, coming through and Carriaca already, already had a name and you had Romario and Bebeto also emerging. A lot of the people who were going to win the World Cup in 1994 
are beginning to make their name in the national in, in the national team. That uh, eighty nine Copa America campaign started very difficultly uh, uh, for Brazil. They were they were being booed by their own crowd, and uh, there were there were problems um, in inside the camp. But during the course of the competition, they picked up momentum. So they just won the Copa America in, in, in Amaracana, uh, and uh, you know. That, that, that really puts them on a pedestal. So confidence is very high in, in, in the Brazil camp as well. Daniel, what, what did you make of the, of the Chile side of, of, this, of this time? And, and was confidence high in the, in the Chile camp? First of all, Ravena wanted to coach, uh, wanted to blend a bit of youth, um, give, give a few players a, a chance. But uh, also a curious note was that there were a number of players flying their trade abroad. Uh, Patricio Yanez um, in Spain... Jaime Vera in Greece, Fernando Stengo at Gremio, also the uh, goalkeeper Roberto Rojas at Sao Paulo. Um, so there were a number, Arica Hurtado, Osvaldo Hurtado in, in Belgium, um, if I'm not wrong. So there were a number of players, um, I may forget a few, a couple of others, um, who were playing their trade abroad. So that sort of uh, broke the mold of, of the belief at the time that Chileans uh, didn't, didn't play abroad. Um, uh, you know, in, in that decade, so there was a mix. You know, Lucas Tudor uh, or Luca Tudor, um, he was in the squad after a, a brilliant '87 Youth World Cup. So they were given chances. Who in almost there was a mixture of, of experience and, and youth. But um, team was uh, at the time getting you know a lot of critique uh, because of its uh, often viewed as a as a ultra defensive team, um, sort of wanting to, to park park the bus at the back. Um, and just going for the counter, but um, yeah, '89, you know, was was the kind of year where it was important on on the football calendar. Um, a friendly in in London at Wembley um, against England in the Stanley Rouse Cup was another chance to showcase and prepare for for the qualifiers. Um, obviously, there was a there was a Coppa, so the main um, objective was was the qualifier for Italian '90. Yeah, I think uh, Tim alluded to it earlier, but basically. You know the format for this, for the for the qualifying for Italia '90 in South America basically saw three groups of three uh, teams because Argentina had automatically qualified as champions for the '90 World Cup, and Chile and Brazil found themselves in the in the same group as Venezuela, and that was back when Venezuela were extremely weak. I think it's fair to say, basically. Both sides won their games quite comfortably against Venezuela. So, yeah, the, the two matches, the, the one in Santiago and the one in Maracanã in, in, in Rio, were certainly you know the key matches in the group to, to qualify for this tournament. We briefly uh, touched on it pre-pod. But, uh, yeah, I, I watched the game in Santiago, the first uh, World Cup qualifying match between Chile and Brazil um, in, in 89. Um, I watched that for the first time the other day, and I have to say it is one of the most remarkable matches um, I've, I've watched from from start to finish. Um, you didn't see any football, did you? <laughs> no. you? Didn't see any football at all. It was, um, it was delayed at the start. There was uh, players pushing and shoving each other before the match had even begun. I'm I'm not sure I've ever seen that on on the pitch before. Maybe maybe in a tunnel, but you know, before the game had even kicked off, there was high tension. Then after 2-3 minutes, there there was an absolutely criminal challenge on on Branco and uh, the Brazilian left back. And 
somehow the the player who uh, who made the challenge, Daniel, help me or, out here, or, or Menyo, or Menyo, yeah. Menyo that's it. Um, yeah, somehow he managed to stay on the pitch, but Romario, who got back involved in in some pushing and shoving, um, you don't quite see what's happened, but he gets sent off after just two minutes, and um, and yeah, and and eventually this game also produces two of the kind of strangest goals I've seen as well, like a yeah. really unlucky own goal, and then the Chile equaliser is <laughs> certainly one of the most fortunate. Goals I've seen. I, there was some dodgy refereeing going on there. I think. Um, I believe it was given because Tafarel held on to the ball too long, and then the ref gave an indirect free kick, and Chile took it as quickly as possible and scored. But it looked like the Brazilians had no idea what was going on, and and Dunga at the end of the match when he's walking off the pitch looks absolutely furious. It was farcical. No, the whole thing was a, and it, it's a good game I think to show. To uh, especially kind of younger people who uh, will will uh, moan about old-fashioned um, who, who will moan about uh, today's football. You know, modern football is too sanitised and it's rubbish. Well, okay, well, you can make an, as many criticisms as you like about modern football, but you ain't going to see anything as deplorable as that because it just wasn't any football played, was there? It was a it was a ludicrous. Personally, I, th- I think Aravena is probably mostly to blame. I think he'd, he'd whip the whole thing up into uh, uh, in, 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 into a, uh, a kind of lunatic atmosphere even before the the, the, uh, um, the, the, the game had, had started. The other thing which is really striking, Tim, is how how militised is around the stadium as well. There is so much of the Carabineros, of the, like the militised police of, of Chile, and I think that really adds to the whole kind of violent atmosphere atmosphere of this game yes um i'd like to add you have to um you spot on adam the climate it was very tense um it was a uh, decisive year um for the country in chile president augusto pinochet is the big loser this morning after wednesday's referendum in the voting people were asked to say yes or no to another eight-year term for pinochet most people said no Pinochet now must call for an open presidential election in Chile to be held late next year with the winner assuming power in 1990. His defeat touched off a night of celebrations in the capital, Santiago. Many people are now calling on Pinochet, who seized power in a coup 15 years ago, to resign. I've, I've read a biography of Roberto Rojas, which obviously we'll, we'll talk in detail sooner um, in, the, in the return leg. He mentions that the, the mood in the camp, in the Chilean camp, was one of um, certainty. They were, they were certain that they would get past Brazil. They believed that they had the team to do it, and they were pretty much um, ready to do it at all costs. Um, they knew that it was going to be a very tough uh, group, but they, they would get the job done no matter what. And I think that, you know, that confession uh, sums up the attitude. Right, so, so yeah, after, after this game finishes 1-1... I think I think Chile end up uh, beating uh, Venezuela quite comfortably in a game played in uh, in a, somewhere in Argentina, uh, Cordoba or Mendoza. Uh, I forget now. Um, Mendoza. And, yeah, and but they had to play that game there because of the incidents surrounding this match in, in Santiago. They were basically banned from mm-hmm. from playing at home again, and then of course that means that they have to travel then to Rio to take on. Brazil and try and win in the Maracanã, which very few teams have done. A draw wouldn't be enough for them. 
as Brazil's goal difference was was better than Chile's. So after a, after a goalless first half, Correca put the Brazilians one 0 up on a 49th minute, and then came the came the moment that made this game infamous and, and why we're talking about it today. Um, in the in the 67th minute minute, Chilean goalkeeper Roberto Rojas fell to the ground pretending to be hurt by a flare thrown by by Brazilian fans and then what happened thereafter is 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 the stuff of a uh, legend really isn't it yeah see it, it's not just the moment that it happens this see what what takes this story up to an entirely different level is the element of premeditation because obviously in the spur of the moment things can happen on a football field you can have a little opportunity to cheat here and there it's almost part of the codes of the game but the 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 extent of the premeditation that had to take place for this is is what sets this this story apart. Uh, now, and this was a Brazil side that did have problems scoring goals. And the, the, the Copa America final, they, they'd only won one nil. They didn't concede a lot, but they didn't score a great deal. And we saw this. Uh, in the World Cup in Italia 90, when they only managed four in in four games, so I think they're, they're, there's a there's a hope from a Chile point of view that they can hang on and snatch something, and they are they are hanging on. They don't offer offer much of a threat to uh, to the Brazilian goal, but you know they're hanging on. And, and Rojas is a is an excellent goalkeeper, but um, just after half time when uh, when Bebeto and Careca combine and Careca scores, obviously that changes the whole thing because Chile then have to score two goals and it's it's clearly beyond them. Rouba mais uma pelo meio. Tocou para Bebeto. Vamos Bebeto. Vamos caprichar Bebeto. Isso. Enfiou para Careca. Partiu Careca. Abriu o lance. Perna esquerda. Bateu. 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 Vai entrar. Vai entrar. Brasil. Uh, and, and here, I want to want to bring in what Danielle thinks. This surely contradicts the speech of Rojas that Chile were confident, because he has he has gone onto the field before the game, before a ball's kicked, while it's still nil nil. He has taken onto the field a razor blade in order to cut himself at an opportune moment. Now, this would seem to me to indicate that 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 confidence was a little bit fragile. That um, that indeed was uh, was a confession in, in his book. Um, he also broke down in tears, you know, with with the author. Time of writing, uh, confessing two main points: one, that uh, he was at the the best uh, form of his career. Um, there were clubs in Europe um, watching him. Um, he was in, in great form with Sao Paulo, and two, uh, that um, that confidence. Uh, that was in the team was still uh, it was high, but it was it was still broken amongst the 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 dressing room amongst the playing group. If that makes any sense, why? Because and he went on to explain that the the, the national team, the group led by Ravenna, had two two factions. There was there was a group of players who were you know with Rojas, and they knew everything about this setup. So this plot um, with the razor blade uh, was kept quiet, was kept hush. And the remainder of the players who who formed the other the, the other group um, in the dressing room had no idea. So I think that that's also another key point in 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 this story that uh, there were players that and, and members of the medical team um, and, and and the coaching staff that knew all along that he carried a, a razor blade. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think another interesting point here as well 
is when this kind of all comes out in, in, in the wash and being proved that Rojas and, and Chile have cheated, um, some of the players in that first group that you mentioned who knew all along um, about what Rojas was going to do... Um, actually still were defending him. Yeah, they saw it, as, and I think this plays into something Tim said right at the start of the pod, um, you know, the nationalism aspect. You know, he, he did it for Chile. It was, it was an act, yeah. it was a heroic act, which is just ludicrous, really, when, when you look back yeah. on it, to see it in that, in that light. The the the, uh, the 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 link between the the incessant moralism of the Pinochet far right and the absolute lack of ethics is is so clear here. But w- one point I really want to stress because you know when you tell the, the, these stories, the problem is that we already know the ending. You know, we're looking back oh. at it and already knowing the ending, and that really wasn't the way it was lived at the time. You know, because. Oh. It takes a remember that the, 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 the game stops. Chile abandon the field in this you know, real massive confusion. What has actually happened? Now, from a Brazil point of view, it, there are there are huge fears now. You know, Brazil, the only country to have played in in every World Cup. What's going to happen to us now? And are, are we really going to be thrown out this time? And that fear shakes the entire society. And from the point of view of of, of Chile, they fly home. As heroes, they get an absolute hero's reception. So, you know, if, if we stop the clock then, on whatever it was, you know, the 4th of, of, of September, um, the, the thing looks totally different. You know, it's Brazil out in disgrace. Chile, our brave heroes, have have put up with everything and, 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 uh, and, and got through. And then it's only in time that the farce is revealed. But, you know, the way that people live it is not back to front. It's front to back. So, uh, you know, the emotions that people uh, on both sides of, of the divide, the emotions that, that these people are going through are really, really strong. Daniel, when, when this incident happened and it looked like it was, it was the fault of the Brazilians, what, what were some of the events that unfolded there in, in Santiago? Well, that's right. To further support um, Tim's uh, words, uh, you have to go back into that moment in that, in that month of, of September. Um, again, I'll repeat, so it was very politically tense. Uh, this that was going on was, was a bit of a, a hope, no matter how coward the act was. Uh, there was a sense of hope that, that you know, the national team would go to, to the World Cup in Italy. And uh, after the first uh, leg at the Nacional here in Santiago, things were so, so tense that when this happened in the 65th minute of the Maracanã, uh, there were Chileans raiding the Brazilian embassy here in Santiago, throwing missiles and, and insulting you know, diplomatic staff at the embassy because they were disgusted at, at, at Brazil. Um, little to know that um, you know, a week or two later, when everything unfolded, um, it was a different story. Now, I don't know who's going to um, reveal, reveal it in, in this show, but uh, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's different... Uh, the protagonists in, in, in this incident and there's different angles. Um, I'd like to highlight that, first of all, there's, there's a lady in the stands who yeah, planned this with uh, Rojas, with the goalkeeper. No, secondly, um, the photographers. There's another perspective, there's another angle coming from the, from the official photographers. So, um, yeah, that's why I'd like to, uh, to discuss with Tim what happened from the woman who threw the flare. Yeah, the, the story of, of the woman, uh, Josineri, Josineri Melo, uh, Foguetera, it's, a mm. story, it, it, it's part of the story that has never entirely convinced me. 
Um, the official story is that uh, she's going to the Manukau, I think for the first time maybe, uh, and uh, outside the stadium there's someone who doesn't want to go through the search because he's carrying these flares and he's, he gives them to her and he, will you take them in for me? So she takes them in and uh, and then uh, she doesn't see him again, so she's got the flares with her and she ends up ends up throwing them. Or, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's her flair that lands closest to Rojas and Rojas rolls around on the floor and tries to make it look as if he's been struck by the flair and uses the, uh, the, the smoke and, the, and, the, uh, um, and all, all, all of the attention to, to get, the, get the razor, ba- razor blade out of his glove and, and cut himself. Um, the, the, the aspect, and, and uh, this being Brazil, um, Joseneri, uh, she ends up uh, uh, making a lot of money uh, in, in Playboy. She's no longer with us, actually. She she, she died early. But th- that's the part of the story that I've always been a little bit dubious about because – and how was she identified in all of these people? Who was there? Who identified her? Yeah, it's, it's over 140,000 were at the American Eye reportedly that night. Yes, yeah, yeah. So how was she – who identified her? Or what, was this just a story of a PR on the make? Who managed to say, "Yeah, it was, it was, it, it, it was." Her. So th- th- that's the part of the story that I don't really understand. Although it's, uh, it, it's, it, I think it's far from being the more important part of the story. The more important part of the story is the fact that this, this, this was uh, kind of planned, or at some point, Rojas had planned to cut himself. Um, whether he was expecting the flares uh, uh, again, you know, uh, uh, which when he's doing this before. What, how how does he think it, it, it's going to be it, it, it's it's going to play out? How does he think he, he he's going to be able to get away with it? Well, uh, Rojas in, in in this book, tell all book, uh, explains that he was adamant and confident that it was going to work out. Um, uh, he didn't think that uh, anyone would capture images of the flight of the flare because the flare landed about a meter in front of him. Um, obviously, in those days, we didn't have as many cameras as we do now. And that brings up the second point of the photographer, uh, the, 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 the governing body, CBF president at the time, Ricardo Teixeira, weeks later, um, before going into an inquiry by FIFA, he gets in touch with one of the photographers, a very well-known, respected um, freelance photographer for, for the Argentinian magazine El Grafico, Ricardo Alfieri. He tells him, look, uh, Alfieri tells Teixeira, look, I've got some images and he's talking with another photographer who was also at the ground, a Brazilian photographer. And Teixeira asked the Brazilian photographer, do you have any images? No, I don't. But, but let me give you uh, another photographer's uh, phone number and you can contact him because I'm sure he's got some images. So Teixeira calls Alfieri, the Argentinian photographer, and indeed he did have some images. And he said, you know, in your hands lies the future of, of, of Brazil's uh, hopes in, 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 in Italian 90. Um, he goes, yeah, but I need to go back to Buenos Aires and, and develop the photos in my studio. Um, and Teixeira, please, please do not return to Buenos Aires yet. Could you develop them here in Rio? Um, so from, from, from my memory, um, he manages to, to late, at, late at night, I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday on the weekend, to, to, to get a laboratory. Because obviously back in those times, he had the, the film, the negatives, he had to develop them with water, and the images came out ready for, for Monday morning. And that's when they were, they were um, shown to the press and indeed proved Rojas wrong. He proved that the flare did not arrive. Yeah, I was also reading that Globo played, paid a very good amount for, for, those, for an exclusive to those photos, I think. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so could you imagine living in Brazil at the time or here in Chile and seeing, you know, just 
just going through all that, you know, front page news. It, it was just, I mean, we're talking, especially Brazil, where football is, is life, football is everything. And the stakes of your national team not qualifying to, to the next World Cup, you know, that's, that's a recipe for, for a national disaster. So when these photos are revealed and it clearly shows proof and evidence that, that Rojas was not, you know, struck by the flare um, to his face, and this was planned. The, the story obviously you know, flips you know, uh, completely, and then that's when Rojas is pressured by everyone, by the media, by everybody, to own up and confess. And that's, that's uh, a real you know, sad part of, 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 of all this because he was such a brilliant goalkeeper. If we, if we strictly talk about football, he was, he, he was phenomenal. We can think now in 2016 when Bravo you know, dives and then deny Sergio Aguero top corner in the Copa Centenario final. I mean that that was that was Rojas all along. He was he was able to to dive from from one extreme to the other. He was a brilliant. Yeah, his nickname his nickname was Condor. Condor, which, yes, which is you know the national one of the national symbols of Chile. It's also ironic, wouldn't it? Because yeah. it was the operation between the the, the, the dictatorships to to help yeah. each other out. Mm-hmm. Uh, although ostensibly they're enemies and smiling at snarling at each other, it's the operation to help each other out, uh, um, uh, clamping down on each other's leftists. Yes, and also um, t- just to think of the social um, aftermath of all this. I spoke um, with Adam prior to this uh, podcast. Uh, just the uh, the the language. Um, I mean. For, for the listeners out there who, who maybe may not speak Spanish or Portuguese, we've we introduce football terms in our popular culture, in our in our lingo, in our everyday, you know, talk. And um, the two, there are two words in the Chilean Spanish language um, that came out of this match. You know, it's such a significant date and event that marks a very dark period in Chilean football. And um, one is Condoro. Or condorazo, so that means if you stuff up, or if you make a mistake, a big mistake, or oh, I, I blew it up, I made a big, big, you know, error. You're referring to the condorazo of the event by Condor Rojas. You're making a condoro. Second of all, to do the gesture where you grab your you know, your family jewels um, is called the pato yanes in reference to what Patricio Yanes, the forward, did at the time of the of the of the um of the flare. Um, he faces the camera, um, probably the, the, the rights uh, of a Globo, TV Globo, the, the, the broadcast camera, and he grabs his, uh, his jewels and, and in, in, in an intention to insult you know, the Brazilian crowd uh, because this was such a tense environment and he was clearly disgusted. He, he has admitted years later that he feels embarrassed uh, when people see him Know, at stadiums or you know when he's approached um you know in public uh, he feels embarrassed about the gesture because people people, refer... people will do that gesture to him in the street here in chile it's, uh, mm. so, it's uh, yeah so it's certainly not his uh, his proudest moment of his career that's for no. sure um, he, he even told this story once on on Chilean Chilean television that I saw that uh, uh, like a seven year old boy basically knocked on like the TV studio that he was in a game sort of the the caseta what they call it here um, like the the gantry of the of the television he knocks on the window glass this seven year old and uh, and yeah and he does the gesture 
towards uh, Badoyanya. So, you know, children even that young are, are, are aware of it. Yeah, and, and Badoyanez is a uh, is one of the one of the top sort of co-commentators here in Chile these days. Um, whilst yeah, Roberto Rojas, the the main man in the main protagonist in in this story, uh, as we've mentioned, his career is cut short. Um, yeah, he's banned for for life, but he is allowed to coach. And Tim, this is another area I just want to touch on with you because he goes on to coach uh, one of the legends of of Brazilian football as as the goalkeeping coach of, of Sao Paulo no yeah uh, and uh, yeah he also was the was the first team coach for a while um, but he was uh, he was coach of Rogerio Sani um, for for many years I always found this strange as well it was it was Tele Santana who was coach at, at Sao Paulo who, who brought Rojas on uh, on board on this fellow who uh, disgracefully tried to cheat uh, tried to cheat Brazil ends up um, making his living in, in 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 Brazilian football it's another strange area of uh, of the story isn't it very strange um, considering that at the time sao paulo counted uh, with zeti in goals you know by no means a uh, you know, understudy of tafarel in the national team and uh, rojas and zeti paired up um, in sao paulo and and, and rojas uh, will always be um, you know, grateful for the club for for trusting in him, even though he, he obviously did what he did. Ended up, yeah, coaching the side um, even on an interim basis as well, and and forms a formidable part of of Rogério Senna's uh, career. Rojas was given a pardon. He was given, um, you know, his his, his band lifted by FIFA symbolically. I think uh, in 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 1999 or in 2000. Um, Obviously, way past, uh, you know, for him to, to come back and, 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 and play again. So he was banned for life. Orlando Aravena was also banned for six years. I, I do remember he came back and coached Palestino. Yeah, but very um, briefly. It, it kind of ended his career, didn't it, really? You know, he came back briefly, but very, very briefly. Yeah, and, r- and rightly so, I think. Right, yes. Um, but the, the worst one for me, uh, apart from Rojas, is the team doctor. And how on earth could yes. the team doctor yes. be, in, be in on it? What a disgrace. Um, team doctor Daniel Rodriguez, um, Alejandro Koch, um, disgraceful. Um, there's no, there's no other way to put it. Um, you're plotting to, to, to fake an injury and, and put your side, with the hope of putting your side into the World Cup by cheating is disgraceful, it's unsportsmanlike. And it sadly marked, and I, and I said this uh, off air to Adam, it, it left a stain, a permanent stain on a generation of footballers where if you if you think about had the, the ban not been applied, which I agree with Adam where he says he says that um that, that Chile were not were not banned for the USA ninety four World Cup because of the incident. They were banned because they walked off the pitch on sixty five minutes. Um but the, the 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 effects of being banned brought big consequences because and he this is the the, the contradiction here because Two years later, at club level, 1991, Colo Colo win the Copa Libertadores, even though their national team can't compete for for the next World Cup. And Catolica reached the final in in '93 as well. '93, four years later. That's right. So even though there's no doubt that you ha- you can say that this was this was a dark period in Chilean football at club level, it was different. Um, which I would say was the opposite of what this golden golden generation yeah, now true. represents for Chilean football because Chilean football with this golden generation has reached the pinnacle. You know, the final of the Confederations Cup, two Copa America titles, 
that isn't the reality of domestic club football. Chilean club football at the moment is, I would say, in dire straits. It needs a lot of work. And that, at that time, it was a reverse. The national team was banned. It was a disgrace. But at club level, it was um, enjoying a lot of success. There were national team players from Bolivia, Marco Antonio Cheverri, Milton Melgar, playing their club football here in Chile, or Leo Rodriguez, signed from Italy, from the Serie A, which in the 90s was the best league to play in. Came to Universidad Chile, Marcelo Espina, after Diego Maradona's uh, suspension for USA 94. He was his replacement. He was a Colo-Colo. There were top high-profile players, Gorosito, Nestor Gorosito, and Alberto Acosta, Católica. So there was big money at the time. You've got to put everything in context. Um, and, and club football here in Chile was enjoying... You know, um, some exciting football and exciting times, despite the fact that their national team couldn't compete for for a World Cup qualification. Yeah, and this is why I always see this incident as such a you know huge sort of sliding doors moment of of South American football, because Chile were banned from the 1994 World Cup, so they didn't participate in in the qualification for that. Um, Argentina only just made that World Cup by beating. Australia in a playoff and you know we, we Simon um, Felipe and, and Tim talked in that first episode we did about the Colombia side that that went to the 94 World Cup well yeah there, there was a very real chance that if if Chile hadn't been banned um, from for qualifying for 94 they might have even made that World Cup ahead of Argentina it's like one of those big what ifs because maybe the draw would have been different it was like two groups of um Two group, well, one group of five and one group of four, or something, or something like that. The qualification of that, and Bolivia qualify from the other group. But the only time they've qualified for a, a World Cup in sort of the modern era, I think. So it created so many sort of big what ifs moments in in that decade. And I think there there was probably a generation of Chilean players who were a little bit cheated out of a of a better career through no fault of their own as well. Yeah, on the generation who they've prepared through that under twenty World Cup of of eighty seven, they've just had their, their 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 wings have been cut off, haven't they? Because that's the generation that is mature. You know, it's around the twenty seven mark in the uh, in, in in USA ninety four. So very very unfortunate for for that generation. Although, and personally, I I I I can't see them doing a great deal. I, I think that, and it, this was Figueroa who told me this in two thousand four that uh, they had no identity. Chile had never really had a footballing identity, and that that for me was the great thing about the Bielsa project that Sampaoli gave uh, continuity. He, he he came and he established an identity, and it was an identity that works very very well. With the with the raw material that, that that Chilean football had, and the '98 team were weren't a bad team. I mean, they, they went out in the um, in the second round against Brazil, uh, and uh, all right, it looked like a heavy defeat. But for a while, they were the better side. They were just done on set pieces for a while until Brazil um, could uh, could uh, you know had a lead and could start exploiting the, the counter attack. The, the '98 team weren't weren't a bad team at all. But you couldn't really imagine them in a in a quarter final and a semi final of, of of the World Cup. The Bielsa Sampaoli thing, I think, has been better, and it's you know it took them up to a to another level. And behind that was the idea of there was a a Bielsa gave the team an identity that it never ever really had. And you know, forget the the incident in, in the Manacana. Any team that plays the way that Chile did at home in Santiago against Brazil a few weeks before really had no business being in a World Cup. And and not just the style on the pitch, 
but in keeping with a lot of what we've said in this pod, you know, Bielsa, Bielsa instilled a, you know, a real kind of new ethic to, to Chilean football culture during his time, sort of a new discipline, um, you know, a, a set of rules and, and uh, that a, a lot of that Chile generation w- would have never have um, maybe experienced before and, and I don't think they experienced after because, you know, even under San Paolo you saw events like Vidal crashing his car during the Copa America and, and pretty much being let off uh, with nothing more than a, than a slap on the wrist. Um, I always wonder, for example, an incident like that, if that had happened under Bielsa, how he would have handled it. But yeah, um, Bielsa is certainly a, a great man and, um, and somebody who probably still to this day, arguably the most popular man ever in Chile. <laughs> Not just talking no. about football. Well, look, look, how the, look how the players stood up recently during during the uh, during the social problems and look how they stood up and the line that they took i think you can see some of some of yeah some of Bielsa's some. teachings in in what they did some but again you know a lot of the players were criticized for not doing enough here in chile during that like some have been fated as as, as real heroes of, of the cause certainly uh charles Arangis. Um, you know, he's come out of it with his reputation, you know, off the field as as one man of the people, um, probably the, the most popular player now in Chile. Whilst many Chileans saw Vidal and uh, Alexis Sanchez's reaction, especially as as being somewhat cowardly, um, and they didn't feel that they gave the protesters enough support during it so yeah it's it's one of those which is a bit still ongoing and and at the moment the the whole protest movement here has been put on hold like everything else due to COVID-19. I'd like to add as well uh, the indiscipline has always been unfortunately a series of of, you know repetitive events in the national team camp for Chile Um, it happens on a whole show regarding it under Avena, it happened uh, under Javier Ascarvorta, who, who coached uh, Bolivia in USA 94. It happened under Nelson Acosta, um, Claudio Borghi. It never happened under Solovielsa. He treated these players um, you know, very, very hard. Um, you had to be punctual. You to, there was no mucking around. You had to listen to instructions. And the other coach who was like that, if you, if you were to interview players, um, was Croatian Mirko Jozic. And there's a reason why he took Colo Colo to glory, um, lifting the Libertadores trophy, uh, because he wasn't a friend. He wasn't a friend of his players. Um, unfortunately, the, the the social or the I guess the the, the characteristics of, of of Chileans is is like that. You know, Borghi was criticised by the media for being too close with his players, too friendly with his players, and unfortunately, you don't you can't get the best out of them. Um, but with Bielsa, Jozic, or even with Sampaoli, I mean, obviously, results speak for themselves. They were coaches who were very much more cold with their players, very more, very, very much more strict in giving orders, instructions. And um, in my point of view, to, to, to the success of Chilean football, the discipline, the more discipline there is in place, you get the best results.
Thank you for listening.